Welcome to the Ask Brian podcast radio show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1. Well, first of all, before we get into the Ask Brian Show, everybody knows that we start off the show each week with the Rocky theme. And obviously, if people are not aware, the coach for Rocky in the first Rocky passed away. So we're going to give a moment of silence. And that's about all I can stop. You know me. I can't shut up. Okay, we're back. <laughs> that was my moment of silence that I could give, but I had to do something. Come on. All right. So each week we have the Ask Brian Radio Show. We're a business show where we try to help people learn something about business. We'll bring in a founder or something hot and new in the business world to try to get some information from somebody that's an expert in their field. But Everybody asks us, why are we called the Ask Brian Show? My name is Peter. In fact, I'm going to be the guest today. So that's going to be, you know, if you see me talking to myself, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yes, you are. You'll know. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) All right. So let's go to the reasons why Ask Brian is spelled with an E. I mean, the name is A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N. And most people spell the name Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, B-R-I-A-N. But outside of people from Ireland that have a last name of O'Brien, okay, there's very, very few people that spell the name B-R-I-E-N. So we're going to ask our residence expert and co-host, Tracy, can we do a drum roll? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what? No. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Good job. I I was going to go with this instead. Uh, I think that's better. That's for the engineer. All right. Mm -hmm. So, Tracy, are you there? <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll be okay with a drum roll or a crowd cheer. I just don't want to uh-oh. Right. <laughs> but I know that our engineer would never make a sound back down when I came on the air, right? Because the engineer is our number one reason why we have a key and ask Brian. So, yay! Yay! Uh, thanks, Tracy. Anyway, let's go over the reasons why Brian is spelled with an E, other than our fabulous engineer. Expert. And our experts are really the core mission and value of our show. Our guests, um, they have a minimum of 10,000 hours in their business category or their business niche. And most of the experts, especially including the one that we're interviewing today, that has well, more, well over 10,000 hours, probably more like 100,000 hours. So we do have this little formula that we use to decipher, and that is that in order to obtain those um, 10K hours, you would be working an average of 40 hours a week, over 50 or so weeks a year for five years. But Peter, you and I both know as business owners have been doing it for decades, that when you're starting a business and running a business, 40-hour work is rarely, rarely happens. And so we're thinking it's more of like a three-year learning curve. But again, a lot of our experts, including the ones that were you and I on the show every week, have more than 30 years experience. So experts are very important. And why is that important? 
because of education. This show is designed to educate people, help shortcut their learning curve, and really help them out with all the challenges that can come with being a business owner. And I'm really excited about our topic today because it's something we don't talk about enough, and that's how to not need a lawyer for your business <laughs> to get you out of hot water and stay in cold water. And the other E... I thought is, we were talking about then, lactose intolerance. No, that's just you having it. But no, we weren't <laughs> going to talk about it. But no, I mean, I think that it has to do with enthusiasm, but there's probably a version of enthusiasm that you like a lot, which is... Oh my God, this is one of those times that I'm actually grateful I can't hear you very well. And that reminds me, the empathy is something that we talk a lot about on the Hot Brian Show. But it's very today, overrated. It's very overrated. No, no, no. It's not overrated today because our audience has had a tremendous amount of empathy up to this point with our technical difficulties that hopefully we've overridden. So the Empathy Award goes to our audience today. So Give a little empathy um, to our engineer who stuck through it. That's okay. We made it. <laughs> And Andrew knows all the right buttons to push and knobs to twist. So he helped us on that end. He certainly pushes my buttons at times like last week, (laughs) but okay. (laughs) Oh, that was not his. (laughs) That poor guy was sweating bullets. Yeah. Now now you see why I kind of bypass the word empathy on the show. (laughs) You always showcase the anti-empathetic side. (laughs) She's got your number. Okay, so what else are we missing, Peter? What other E's do we need to explore today? Well, we got a show to do, so we're not going to do too much. I mean, like, experience is included technically in the expertise, right? And then there's something, some girl likes this one. I can't remember, but, you know, like, it's on on Grease Lightning, and they go, what is Grease Lightning? Tracy? It is electrifying. See, I was was on the delay there only because I was really prepping up for the electrifying. And, you know, I also, we took a moment of silence already, I know, but we lost Suzanne Summers this week, and she was pretty electrifying, even though she wasn't in group lighting, but we did something about Suzanne Summers that everybody loves, and so I just want to do just an RIP to Suzanne Summers, who was absolutely an expert and a beautiful actor. Actress, and she wasn't on our show, but she was just a beautiful soul. So, yeah, that's, just gonna get that out there. So, on that note, two thirds are gone, right? So, John Ritter's gone, and the only one that's left is uh, DeWitt. Yeah, I know. Two out of the it was Green's company, then it was Two's company, and now it's One's company. Although they did have another one that took over for Chrissy, I can't remember her name. Yeah, but that's exactly why that didn't last. Somebody, <laughs> somebody that took over for Suzanne Summers, she was off the show for a year or two. Seen in reruns. Anyway, let's get into the show. So today's guest is an attorney from Los Angeles, Century City Era, and it's me. (laughs) 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 So we thought, you know, I've done shows now since my first show was December of 2016. So it's almost eight years that we've been doing the show. And I thought that today Many, many people don't realize that I am an attorney in addition to my stage name is Vast Brian, in addition to a couple other businesses I own. And I, I realize that a lot of business owners do
do need an attorney. So we've done a couple of shows where we went over incorporating and trademarks and the value of why you'd want to incorporate form an LLC or trademark. And we've gone through those shows before. And but nobody has really done it much on specifically into the legal aspects, basically on contracts and basically lawsuits and trying to protect yourself from lawsuits and what you can do and those type of things. So that's what we thought we'd have our theme today. And hopefully somebody can learn something about it because we do like to educate. Now, as a disclaimer, as an attorney, I have to disclose that this is not legal advice. Go seek an attorney. But I am going to give talk in general terms based on my legal background of 32 years plus. So, Tracy, go ahead. Okay, Gina, let's start with the basic first and just talk through what are some of the most important things that business needs to be aware of when they're starting out that they could need an attorney to, how an attorney can support them in their business when they're very first starting out. So there's a lot of things in that area, but one is you want to make sure you're protected, right? You're starting a business and you know maybe you have an 800 credit score in a house and you want to make sure that you're not going to be personally liable for your debts, right? So there's a couple of things that can be done in there. That's one of the shows we talked about was forming a corporation or forming an LLC so the business will be owned by that type of entity. That provides some, the term is called limited liability protection, meaning that you are only liable for the valuation of your business itself. So if you have a business that's worth $3 million, okay, and you have a house that's worth $5 million and you get sued for $50 million, generally, not all the time, but in general terms, you're only liable to the total assets of your business and nothing further. So even if you don't have insurance, and even if you did something wrong, there's a limitation. There are caveats, and I don't want to go into every caveat because if we did, we could do a whole show on that. But just two of the big ones are, if you do run a business, you have to follow the corporate formalities. You have to run it as a business. And in addition to running your business, you also have to make sure that you don't commingle. What does that mean? You don't mix your business and personal assets together. So you can't have your personal business, your business account saying, okay, you know what? Hey, I took my kids out for ice cream. That's not allowed because now you're using it, your business for personal expenses. You certainly can pay yourself a salary to the you personally and then take that money out and then use that for ice cream. But when the business is actually taking out for ice cream, it has to be a business purpose. So what I tell people is think about it on taxes. If you can deduct it on your taxes as a valid business expense, meaning it is for business in terms of either A, going to help that business grow, help that business produce income, promote the business, various things along those lines. As long as you can have a valid business reason for the expense, you're okay. If you're going to, again, have the business pay for your cable bill, okay, and it's your personal cable bill at your house, and you're not in the entertainment business, then you're going to have problems. And so try to keep things separate. People don't realize that. They think that, okay, no big deal. I have the business set up as an LLC, so I'm never going to be responsible. Well, there are times when you're responsible. That is one of them. So that's one big category, right? Limited liability. Yeah. I, could, I could actually do it. And a- I think it's so important too, because I think people think that that's something they can get around to when they start making more money or other revenues increase or something like but I just want to say from my own experience that it's so much easier if you just start things out the right way and have everything like that separated. 
so that you don't have to go back and either retroactively fix anything or goodness, you know, God forbid if you did get in a situation where you are under an audit or some sort of legal issue that you had to, you know, have that separated. So it's just always really smart business to start out that way, for sure. Absolutely. You know, that's the other thing, right? You're starting a business, you have zero revenue at the beginning. So you have to put some money into the company because otherwise it can't pay any bills, right? It just to get a website or even to incorporate, there has to be some money. So maybe you put a thousand dollars into the business or two or three thousand dollars into the business. So there's a baseline, right? That you have some money in the company so the business can start paying bills. You might even need to get a loan and you can loan the company money, but do it formally. People's biggest mistake is they think if they own the business and they're the only owner of the business and it's a corporation or LLC, then they can just go ahead and pay for everything they want because it's their personal account. You can't do that. For instance, one of the rules that people are unaware of is if you are an S corporation, which is a qualification, and I can explain to you what S corporations are, although we've done it in other episodes, but if you are a corporation, you've got to make sure that you are an employee. You can't be a corporation and then get yourself a 1099 or an independent contract. That's a no-no, okay? The IRS won't allow it, but also you're going to put yourself in a bad spot on these liability issues with the corporation. And again, the whole reason why you form a legal entity is to keep the separateness. And in order to have the separateness, you must keep the account separate. And as you say, when you start a business, much easier from day one to be running it on QuickBooks or whatever accounting software you're going to use as a separate entity to find out what revenues are, your profit margins, everything. You don't want to start mixing that up with your own personal stuff. Like, oh, I, you know, I went to the grocery store and bought you know, three pounds of tuna. Well, that's not a business expense. And so you start getting that. I find a lot of people that do start out this way as a one-person entity, and then they bring people on board. They have 5, 10, 15, or even thousands of employees over time. They don't realize this concept. So they'll go out and they'll get an investor. The investor will put money into the company and they start, they continue to treat it like, oh, it's my money. It's not your money. It's the company's money. And you have to have this dichotomy and separateness there. That's why the company is liable only for its own obligations. But once the company starts making itself liable for both, that's when you become personally liable. So please, please get a good accounting system set up. And if you don't know accounting, hire an accountant or read a book on accounting or take a course on accounting, but have a basic, basic minimal understanding of accounting so that when you do this, you're not going to end up where you become personally liable and try to make sure you understand that, especially, especially when you're getting another investor. All right. So I don't know if we finished up on the last question or what you want to do. I know I know you like to pivot, but if there's something that I needed to finish up, let me know. Um, let's get into contracts. Like, what types of contracts do you need? What's the difference between using a company like Legal Steps or getting an attorney? Do you want to go there? Do you want to bring up Legal Steps? Contract sponsors? Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I don't think Legal Steps has any programs for contract. But basically, you have a. Oh, okay. You have a. So first of all, one reason why you want to have a contract in your business is you've got contracts for different various reasons. Your main reason is if you're going to hire somebody to do something, you want to have 
listed specifically what they're going to do, right? So that's one reason why you'd want to have a contract. Two, you may have a supplier that you're buying product from. You need to know what the price is. Whether or not you're a manufacturer or a service company, whatever, you want to know what the prices are or at least have a general idea what the prices should be so that you can figure that out. If you don't know, then what happens down the road? So the main reasons why you try to get contracts is for protection. Now, something that many, many people that are not attorneys do not understand is that you can have a contract and it's not required to be in writing. There is something called an oral contract. So you certainly can have an oral contract. What does that mean? Tracy and I have an arrangement. Okay, Tracy, I want you to sell me balloons. And you say, okay, Peter, I'm going to sell you balloons and they're 10 cents a pop. And I need to, I'm need. i going to order a thousand balloons. And so Peter paid me a hundred dollars. I use my credit card. I pay you the hundred dollars. Balloons never arrive. We still have a contract. Just because it's not in writing doesn't mean that there isn't a contract. So you can have a contract that's oral, verbal, or you can have a written contract. Now, there are certain contracts, I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are certain contracts that are required to be in writing. Certain types of contracts where the law says, if it's not in writing, it's not going to be valid. What type of contracts are like that? So one of the big, big contracts are real estate contracts. You're not going to buy a house. Okay, Jen's going to sell me your house for $200,000. Okay, okay, we're not going to just do that verbally, right? No, that's not a, a handshake type of thing. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure your husband would be coming after me. What are you doing? <laughs> we just agreed over coffee to exchange houses. Yeah, sure. Uh, so <laughs> you've got to be careful about things like that. But there are certain contracts, a real estate contract, another contract that people are unaware of, personal guarantee. If you're going to personally guarantee the obligation of either your business, so sometimes you'll have a business and you'll enter into a contract or something to do something and you want somebody to be personally guaranteeing, making sure... They will take on the responsibility if the company can't pay. That contract has to be in writing. And there are a few others. I don't want to go through them. There's a doctrine called the statute of frauds. Basically says that certain contracts must be in writing. But I want everyone to understand you can have a contract because people call me up all the time. They breached my contract, but I don't, I don't have it in writing. It doesn't mean anything. Just because the contract isn't in writing doesn't mean it's not valid. The problem is, what are the terms? And that's why having it in writing is helpful and beneficial. If you have it in writing, you're going to know what the terms are. Now, not every term is in the agreement. That's why, by the way, they say lawyers kill all the deals. Why? Because lawyers will think of all these things that you're not thinking about. Hey, I just want to buy my balloons. Why do I need a 15-page contract? I mean, come on. You know, I'm only selling balloons. It's only going to cost me $100. Why do I need that? Well, there are so many areas that things can come up with. One area that people don't realize is there are various terms in contracts. So we're going to go over two or three terms, one of which is an attorney fee clause. What is that? If you have an attorney fee clause in a written agreement and it says the prevailing party, if there's a dispute, will be able to collect their attorney fees, that can be very valuable. In California, the only two times you can collect money on a contract if it's breached are one, one, if there's a clause in your contract that says the prevailing party in a dispute will be able to reasonable attorney fees, that's allowed. Or two, if there's a statute, what does that mean? If there's a law that says under the law entitled to statutory attorney fees, then you're allowed. But generally, if you don't have one of those two, you cannot collect attorney fees. Why is that important? Let's say 
Jen and I have a contract and I'm buying 10 microphones because I don't like these microphones and it's uh, $1,000 a pop. It's $10,000 and they don't work. And I already paid my $10,000. I can't get the money back. Well, if I wanted to pursue an action against her, $10,000 isn't going to be a lot for me to hire an attorney because by the time I pay the attorney bill, I'm not even going to get my money back on the $10,000. But if you have an attorney fee clause, then it's going to be $10,000 plus my attorney charged me $8,000. If I win the lawsuit, I'll be able to collect the $10,000 plus the eight that I paid the attorney. That's $18,000. So that's why you'd want, I encourage everybody when they have a written contract to have an attorney fee clause. The other thing is sometimes it's something called jurisdiction. What does that mean? It means which court do you have to go to and where? So for instance, if Jen lived in Boise, Idaho, and I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm the company and I'm, I'm selling things, well, I want the lawsuit if there's a dispute to be held in Arizona. She wants it to be in Boise, Idaho. A, she may know, have a friend of hers that's an attorney. She may have an attorney there. If she has to go for small claims court, she can go into a court in Idaho much easier. Well, there can be a dispute over where to bring the lawsuit. And especially if you're going after somebody, you want to have jurisdiction. That means where the court will have the authority and power to make a decision over that situation. And if the person is living in Phoenix, you're probably going to have to file the lawsuit in Phoenix to get an actual judgment, meaning you may need to go there and hire an attorney. You may need to be going back and forth traveling to Arizona, and that's going to create a problem. Whereas if Jen has a contract that says all disputes will be held in Boise, Idaho, then I've consented to jurisdiction, consented to the courts of Idaho to be the court to make the decision of any problems that we have relating to that specific contract. So that's why lots of times you'll see in a contract, you'll see jurisdiction. That seems kind of risky. And, and I, I want to preface any question that I have with, I, I know zero about any sort of law, but it, just hearing you describe that. So if I'm the one that's agreeing to that contract and that, yes, I'm agreeing to go to Boise, Idaho, should there be an issue that seems risky on my part? Is, is that I, fair to assume that? Of course, but it always comes down to in a contract, the bargaining position of the people involved, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to buy my balloons and I'm the only one that sells somewhere balloons right. and you want to buy them from me, what are you going to do? If you want to do business with me, here's my contract. Now, how many times have you gone on the internet and click the terms of service. Sure. Yeah. And the fine we, print, you just, you breeze right through it. And I write yeah. the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> My rocky invitation. <laughs> yeah. So read the fine print. Otherwise you might be agreeing to having to settle a, a lawsuit in another state. Well, another state, that's one part. What, what if it's in Toronto, Canada? Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about jurisdiction and whatever. And you, you're talking about the fairness, right? And it always comes down to, bargaining power, any contract. So people that listen, you want cable TV, you want to get an AT&T phone, the new iPhone. Do you think you have a choice when Apple says you want to buy your iPhone? You don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You have to do what they want. All right. And so when you do what they want, they're going to have in there what? They're in Cooperton, California. And if you have a dispute, you have to go there. You're going there. Yeah. Right? But worse than that is what are you doing with a company that's based in Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> so choose wisely really exactly. i mean honestly you know to your point about apple sure you you want their products so you're willing to 
sign on the dotted line, but probably should make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. And sometimes you don't. However, the, there is law out there that does protect consumers in certain circumstances. So when you have to go to the cable company or when you go to AT&T to buy that new iPhone or Apple or any one of those companies, there's something called unconscionable or an adhesion contract, meaning that you don't have any bargaining power. You're kind of stuck to do it. So now, most judges will enforce the contract word for word as it is stated. Very rarely do they go beyond what's in that contract to try to make categories. However, there are times when the courts can hold that that contract was so one-sided, there was no opportunity to make any choices, and that sometimes the courts will step in. It's rare, and I would never expect that to be the reason why you're doing a contract, but just understand there are possibilities that you can get out of contracts or get change the terms specifically, but it's not, it's a very rare circumstance. I would not anticipate that. And most judges say, listen, you know, parties had the opportunity. They didn't need to buy the iPhone from Apple. They could have bought a Samsung, you know, they could have done something else. It was their choice. That's the legal definition. Do I agree with that? Probably not. Because again, you want to buy the iPhone. What are you going to do? You're going to buy the iPhone. You have cable TV, Cox Cable, uh, Spectrum, whoever you're using, you're kind of stuck to what it is. It's not like you have three or four choices. So that's why the law is a little bit that way. But most judges, most of the time, whatever's in the contract, that is going to govern. And you know, the other thing is, look at a company like Apple. What is their contract? 60 pages long? I mean, it's written by an attorney. And they're looking everything they can to make sure that, oh, if the phone doesn't work, we're not responsible. Well, what are you buying? What are you buying? So that, that's all on the consumer side doesn't work the same for business because in business, the law says you're a business owner and they're a business owner and you had the opportunity to negotiate. I don't know why they think that way because certainly if your business is buying the iPhone, you've got the same issue, right? But the law says businesses have a different way, just like in leasing, commercial leasing and residential leasing, they work at a little bit more favorable to a residential person or a consumer than they do for business. But in business, they feel that, well, you had a more of an opportunity to negotiate and bargain. And that, that's a very, very important factor. So did that answer your question? Well, Peter, I kind of wanted to drill down a little bit into more like a conflict that can happen with a small business. I mean, I know that all of what you're talking about can apply, whether you're Apple or you're just you know, a strawberry fruit, shortcake fruit fan, right? But <laughs> What does the small business owner need to really be prepared for, like, in, like, especially in the service-based industry? Like, I feel like there are so many people that are getting into coaching businesses and consulting businesses and their service-based businesses, and there can be a gray area around sometimes what those deliverables mean and, like, an over-promise and an under-deliver type of scenario happening with people who are
how can a small business owner, especially a service-based entrepreneur, protect themselves against like a if they think they have a really good contract for like the client is their project declined to halfway into the contract if they're on auto pay or their or the client wants to quit. I mean it, it, is that the type of contract you should have reviewed by an attorney obviously before you engage in the services and before I answer that question, some people are saying they wanted to know how they could reach me and how to do this podcast. So we're going to go over that first and, and then we'll answer that. So my law office website is www.lacorporateattorney.com. That's L-A-C-O-R-P-O-R-A-T-E-A-T-T-O-R. N-E-Y.com, L-A-CorporateAttorney.com. So that's how people can find more information. You can hit the contact button or phone there. There's all that contact information. That's how you can reach me. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn a couple other places, but that's the way that people can reach me if they have any further questions. And then you're going to sit to talk to people about how they could watch the podcast. How does that work? Well, I mean, I love to talk about the podcast, you know me, because it is produced by Producer Podcast, which is my company. So, of course, I'll have to give a shameless plug for that, too. However, if you are looking to this episode specifically, or there's other episodes that have intrigued you that you want to take a listen to, you really want to subscribe and follow our podcast, which you can do on any of the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Pandora. Uh, you can catch us um, anywhere that you find your favorite podcast and make sure when you're searching for it that you search for the Ask Brian podcast. That's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N podcast. And we'll also be, you'll also be able to find information on our guests and how to get in touch with them just like Peter explained how to get in touch with them. But if you're driving and you can't write that down, then the podcast will have all of that for you that you can Get in touch with us and keep this learning process going. Well, that's okay. Now I'm going to answer my question because I'm dying to know this. <laughs> first of all, first of all, people need to think of an attorney. They're, they're, first of all, attorneys are specialized in specific areas. PI attorneys, which are personal injury attorneys, workers' comp attorneys. There are a whole bunch of different attorneys, right? So one thing you have to be careful about is when you pick an attorney, you want to go to an attorney that's in the specific category you're looking for for business. And then I hate to use the generic legal information, but first of all, and by the way, although we're providing information legally here, this I do advise everyone to go seek their own attorney. Now, every contract is different because every contract is written by somebody else. There's not one contract that's written out there that everybody in the world uses. That's why every contract is customized to that specific business. So nobody can give a generic general answer to a specific question on a contract, they have to see the contract. But one thing I can tell you whether or not you can afford an attorney or not is one, it's always better to have the contract in writing to beginning than to say, oh, that was our deal. And remember, we talked about this because if it's not in writing, it's much harder to prove. It's still valid, but it's much harder to prove. Two, you want to put in terms that are important to you. The easiest way to do things, obviously, if you can't forward an attorney. The attorney is the easiest way, but you want to get an attorney just like use your doctor as a gatekeeper. You want to go to your attorney in the beginning when the contract is ready, when you're starting to make the deal, not halfway through the deal when the whatever you ordered didn't come through or you want to get out of the contract. 
that's too late. Okay. But what you really want to do is you want to get a contract. And if you can't afford an attorney, then you want, and don't use stuff that's online that you can, but it's not the best. Just think about it formally. What is your transaction? What's the most important pieces to your deal? Okay. I don't want to have to pay money if the contract terminates. I want to know what the price is, right? I want to know what I'm getting. Okay. These are basic things, right? Now, granted, a lawyer will can draft a contract, you know, anywhere from two pages to 100,000 pages. I've seen 800 page contracts, right? Obviously, the more that's in the contract, the more items are protected, the more items that are there. What you want to do is, as a layperson, at the very least, write down everything you want in that contract and make sure it's specifically stated, even if you don't have an attorney. The best point is to have an attorney and go to the attorney before you pay a dollar, before you enter into the transaction. As we said, big companies, they already have their form contracts, but that doesn't mean it can't be changed. Apple, AT&T, those are different. But you have a contract to buy carpeting from John's Carpet Store down the street, and they give you this contract, you might be able to negotiate. It's all based on, what did we say earlier? Bargaining power. So that's an important fact. Whether or not you can get out of your contract or not is going to be based on the terms that are written in the contract. And that's why you want to go to the attorney before, not after. And those are very, very important caveats. So I don't know if that answered your question. Unfortunately, the show is coming to an end, but I wanted to give that information. So thanks a lot, Trace. Thank you very much, Jen. KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Over and out, the S. Brian Show. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.